Bethesda means a house of mercy. This place was known for a house of mercy because these patios housed a care center around this pool for the blind, for the lame, for the paralyzed. There were hundreds of them. His bed would have been a straw mat that you could roll up and carry, even though he had never done that for 38 years. He hadn't done that until Jesus said, take up your bed, walk. And he walks away from the pool carrying his mat. It's a Sabbath day. And for centuries, the rabbis have built laws on top of laws. In fact, they had created 39 laws to govern what you could do on the Sabbath, what you couldn't do on the Sabbath, what you could pick up, what you shouldn't pick up, how far you could go, and that wasn't very far. These laws were not in the Bible. They were adding laws that you could not find in the Old Testament. One of those laws forbids you from moving anything from where you live to another place. So this man who's been living at the pool of Bethesda walks away from the pool. Now this was a very public, public place. He walks away from the pool on the Sabbath carrying his mat for all the world to see. Some religious leaders saw that. And they said, man, what are you doing? It's a Sabbath day and you're carrying your bed? The man said, it's really funny. Go back and look at it. Go back and listen to last week's message if you want to. The man said, I'm only doing what the man that healed me said to do. He told me, take my bed and walk. And I did. And he said, who was this man? What's his name? He said, I don't have a clue. He said, I don't know who he was. And we read in the passage, you'll read that Jesus just backed away quietly after when the man took up his bed. He just disappeared. And the, you know, you can understand it. People at the pool of Bethesda, the lame, the paralyzed, they saw a man take up his bed and walk. That place just erupted. And Jesus just slips away. I don't know who healed me. But then, later that day, Jesus finds the man in the temple. And the man finds out who this was at him. And so he goes back to the religious leaders. And he says, his name was Jesus. Jesus healed me. That was his name. This is where John has been headed with this whole story. So, this set up the scene in the conversation that we read this morning. The religious leaders go to Jesus and say, you know, you not only caused this man to disobey, you not only told him to carry his bed and walk away on the Sabbath, you not only caused him to sin, but you sinned because it's against the law to heal on the Sabbath. That's work. And that's work you shouldn't have done. Now Jesus could have easily said just let's go to the synagogue and roll out the scrolls and you show me where it says in the Old Testament that you can't heal on the Sabbath day. They wouldn't have been able to do that because it wasn't in Scripture. But Jesus didn't do that. And you've got to immediately ask why? 
Why didn't Jesus do that? Jesus had something far more important to say. You see, he's not one of those men. And he's not Matthew or John or James. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's the Messiah of Israel. And he answers them by reeling off five astounding claims. First he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Look at John 5.16. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now. And I am working. You say, what's that mean? Well, we'll get to that. It's very easy to understand. But look first, it says Jesus answered them. That word answer is important. If Bill Ray had been a lawyer in that day in court, this would have been a word that he would use when he was making a defense of someone he's defending where accusations have been made. This word is only used twice in the Gospel of John. It's used in this verse and it's used one uh, in verse 19. And it's translated said in verse 19, and it should be answered because it was a legal term used in the courtroom of that day when people were making a defense against accusations that confronted them in court. And so here's his answer. Here's Jesus' answer. My father is working until now, and I am working. Let me explain that. When we read Genesis 1, that God rested on the seventh day, the word for rest there is not a word that means idle. It doesn't mean that he laid down and just quit altogether. It means a cessation of whatever you've been doing. You rest from what you have been doing. God did something else. He rested. He had been about creation. He rested from creation. That does not mean he stopped keeping and sustaining the universe. He continued to be, God, to be the God who sustains and rules. If he had stopped sustaining and ruling, the world, the universe would have fallen apart. Every Sunday as we prepare for worship, I did it this morning. So we've come to meet with whom? With the creator, with the sustainer, and with the Redeemer. In most churches, you're going to hear we've come to meet with the Creator and the Redeemer. And we leave out sustainer. Don't take those words for granted. The naturalist, the naturalistic agnostic, he might say, well, there's a God. Can't know who he is. And he, if he did create the world, he just wound it up like a clockmaker makes a watch and he winds it up and lays it down and pays no more attention to it. The watch is done. It's going to function. That's how people, what do people say? You know, they talk about the nature. What, what, what's in Mother Nature? What's in this? What's in that? It's like the universe is wound up and functioning. Let me tell you, nature does not, did not create the world and nature does not sustain the world, ever. 
God is intimately involved with his creation. Paul tells us in Acts 17, 28, it's on your scripture sheet, for in him we live and we move and have our being. In him. Jesus was saying, hey guys, the Father continues his work on the Sabbath. And they knew that to be true. The Father works on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, and so am I. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm with the Father. That's my Father. They didn't have prayers in that began, our Father. They didn't refer to God. It, when Jesus said, my Father, they knew he was claiming deity. In Matthew 12, something like this happens again at another time. And he heals a man with a withered hand. And it's on the Sabbath. And it's in the temple. I mean, these guys are watching. And this man has a withered hand. And Jesus heals him. And they question him and said, you can't do that. That's work. And how did Jesus respond? First thing he said was in Matthew 12, 6. He said, I'll tell you something greater than the temple is here. Here's this massive temple. It's taken 50 years to build. It's massive. And, he's, and it was the center of their worship. And he said, hey, guys, there's something greater than the temple here. It's a son of God. That's what he was saying. And then he goes on down in verse 8 of Matthew 12. For the son of man, that's Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he was claiming in this passage. The Father continues his work, and so do I. Do you know who I am? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. That's the first claim. The second claim, I am one with the Father. Look at verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The religious leaders understood exactly what Jesus was saying. This was a capital offense. This, this was a death penalty. Not that he healed someone on the Sabbath, but that he claimed to be God. They understood. That's why they were seeking to kill him. There's a word that you need to know. And you're going to think immediately, I don't need to know that word. It's the word ontology. And uh, it means the study of being. Now, if you were reading a theology book at this point, it would tell you that Jesus was referring here to the ontological view of God. Who is God? What's God's being? What's God's essence? You say you believe in God? Let me tell you, you may have thought this is unimportant. You better know if you say, I believe in God, you better know because I'm going, you know, the world's going to say, well, who is God? I can tell you exactly who he is. He's Father, He's Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture says. That's the ontological view of God. That's His essence. That's His being. You can, the Scripture cannot talk about God separate from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
You know what it says? That these are three, but only one God. Three and one. Do you, I don't understand that. That's beyond comprehension. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these three are one God. The same in substance. Equal in power and glory. That's the ontological view of God. That's his being. You know why this is important? I've heard for years evangelical churches like Christ Presbyterian Church. And they'll say this in the bulletin. They'll say this in the pulpit. They'll say, this is a Christ-centered church. You know what? Sounds great, doesn't it? People have seen that and said, I'm going to that church. That church is Christ-centered. Shame on them. Christ Presbyterian Church is not a Christ-centered church. It's a Trinitarian-centered church. Are you going to say this is the church is Christ-centered and we don't need the Father? The church is Christ-centered and we don't need the Holy Spirit? The Father is the one who sent His Son to die for our sins. He went through the pain of judging Him guilty. And you're going to say that's not important. You're going to say the Holy Spirit? Not important. It's by the Holy Spirit that we were born again. We're a Trinitarian church. We love the Father. And we love the Son. And we love the Holy Spirit. And the being of God. I am Lord of the Sabbath. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is, I'm one with the Father. It even gets better, people. He says, I speak and I give life. Now, this is a man. He's talking to these men. He says, I give life by the power of my voice. Look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father, and he gives, he says, so the Son is copying the Father. In verse 21 he says, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my voice and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but He's passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, now look at this, and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now He's not talking there about being raised from out of the grave. He's going to talk about that in a minute. He's talking about being raised from spiritual death. So from the being, so from being of the same substance, from being one with God, from having an ontological view of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, suddenly he starts talking about what God does. Now there's another word you need to know. 
You have the ontological view of God, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, scriptural view. Then there's another phrase. It's called the economy of God. How does God function in the Godhead? How does the Father function? How does the Son function? How does the Holy Spirit function? That's called the economic. How does the Trinity operate? If you're reading a theology book, it would go from the ontological view of God to the economy of God. And he says the Father gives life. And just as the Father gives life. Men, would you say the Father can give life? And they both have said, God can give life. And he says, I can give life. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. He's not talking about raising someone out of the grave. This is something. Let me ask you something. When In John 3.16, when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When do you have eternal life? When you have faith, you have eternal life. It's a life that Jesus gives. And Jesus says, I have the authority to give that life by my voice. Nicodemus, he heard the voice of the Son of God and he was changed. The woman at the well that we looked at in John 4, she heard the voice of Christ and she was changed. Come meet a man who told me all that I've done. The thief on the cross, he heard the voice of the Son of God. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He had life on that very cross on which he was dying. Wow. The voice of God. It shakes the cedars of wilderness, the cedars of Lebanon. It shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. It shakes history. It's a voice that raises us from being spiritually dead. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm, I'm one with the Father. I speak and give life by the power of my voice. Fourthly, he says, I speak and I raise the dead by the power of my voice. You just... He just keeps going, doesn't he? One after the other after the other. Look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. He doesn't say, and now is. He said, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, who are dead physically, will hear the voice and come out of those tombs. And they will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You've got to love this. I'm going to shout. And your graves will be emptied. That's what he was saying. Now Paul talks about this. I couldn't pass this up. Yesterday I had a funeral for an old friend. And I was going to speak about his life. It's like he lived a powerful life. And I was going to speak about his life at the memorial service. And so before we went in to the sanctuary, I spoke to this precious family, a family that I know well, about the resurrection and reminded them, know today that we sit here, that we, that we worship and, and we walk away from this 
and we know we'll see him again. Bobby's story is not over. There's more to come. He's with the Lord, and one day God's going to raise him. We're going to give he's going to return. Well, let's read about it. And this is what I read to the family. Look at it with me. It's important. Hang with me. But we do not want you to be uninformed. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who fall asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Do you hear that? With a cry that's going to be heard all over the world. With the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Just as Jesus said to that man, take up your bed and walk. He's going to return one day. The skies over Fayette County, over Memphis, over the Mid-South, over this world. And he's going to say, rise. And just as that man had, he had to, he had no choice. He got up from his paralysis and he rolled up his bed and he walked away. That's coming. Just as surely as he came the first time, he's coming again. Jesus gave all of us a preview of this when he raised Lazarus from the dead. In John 11, read it this afternoon. It's beautiful. Please do it. Please read it this afternoon. It's beautiful. When he hears that Lazarus is sick, sick unto death, he purposely waits until Lazarus has died before he arrives on the scene. Lazarus' sister Martha, what does she say to Jesus? If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. It's your fault. And Jesus said, Martha, you know that your brother is going to rise in the resurrection. And Martha looked at him and said, well, that's at the end of the age. <laughs> He's gone now. You could have been here and saved him. He could still be here. He said, that's at the end of the age. That's at the last day. On the last day is the actual word she used. And what did Jesus say to her? I am the resurrection and life, Martha. That's who I am. I am. I'm the resurrection and the life. It's not the last day that is going to raise him. It is the resurrection. His name is Jesus. That is who is going to raise him. And he said, come with me. And they go to the tomb. Lazarus, come out. And he walks out. That's what's going to happen. Mark it down. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't tell me what I can do and what I can't do on the Sabbath. I'm one with the Father. I speak and give life by the power of my voice. I speak and I raise the dead by the power of my voice. Fifthly and lastly, he says, I am the absolute judge of all of history. It's even more audacious. Can you believe this? That's his answer. That's why he simply didn't say, hey, you show me in Scripture where it says that. He says, I've got a better answer for you. You know who I am? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm one with the Father. I speak and give life by the power of my voice. I speak and raise the dead by the power of my voice. And I'm the absolute judge of all of history. Look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one. Do you see that? The Father judges no one. 
but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of what? Judgment. And who is the judge? In the Gospels, mark this down. In the Gospels, whenever Jesus speaks of judgment or whenever there's a description of the final judgment, who is always on the throne? Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Look it up. Look at Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate peoples one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. Who's the judge in that passage in Matthew? Jesus. And that's what he was saying to those men that day. I'm the judge of all of history. One of the last words of Jesus in Matthew, it's a third verse from the last verse in Matthew, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority, all authority. Do you understand what that means? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's just before he went to glory. That's what he said. Do you know what the book of Revelation is? This is what we've seen in the last year in our small group adult Bible studies. You know what the book of Revelation is? It's a story of Jesus. It's very simple. It's a story of Jesus after he returns to glory. Acts is a story of the church after Jesus left. Revelation is a story of Jesus after he goes to glory. And we've seen this many times. It's, 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 it was a favor to this church. In chapter 5 in Revelation, we see when Jesus returns to glory, it's right there. John talks about it. Look at it. Revelation 5, 1. Then I saw, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's the Father, a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? You know what that scroll was? It was the ownership of the earth. It was the ownership of history. It was the ownership of God's providence. Who owns that? Who, who can take that scroll? Who can hold that deed? And John begins to weep because no one steps forward. And then the line of Judah, the Lamb of God, steps forth and he takes the scroll and all of heaven bursts out in worship. That's what Jesus was saying. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a visual picture of what was taking place. The rest of Revelation is based on this action. For the rest of the book, Jesus is governing from glory, ruling as one to whom the Father has given all authority and all glory. Well, that's it. We started out this morning on our call to worship, reading about the Son of Man before the Ancient of Days. There was a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And then we see Jesus with these religious leaders. 
And it's the same son of man before the ancient of days. Same one. That's who was talking to them. That's what Jesus was doing. Do you understand? And we fast forward and we go off into glory. And there's, he left heaven to come to earth. He was a son of God. He goes home. He's a son of God and son of man. Planned from the foundations of the earth, from the foundations of the universe. That person you see in Revelation, that's the Jesus talking to this man. You want to understand why Jesus did what he did and said what he said? Because they're the same person. He's the ancient of days. And he is the son of man and son of God taking that scroll, the line of Judah. He was saying to those men, do you know who I am? The audacious Astounding. He made his presentation that day in the power of the Spirit to those religious leaders. He reminded Christ Presbyterian Church this morning. He reminded John Sartell and he reminds you, this is who I am. This is who I am. What are you going to do with it? They didn't believe it. Their destiny and your destiny depends on it. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give my answer by singing, Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. I pray that you'll do the same thing. And if you had never done it before, if you've never said, he's mine. And I love him. That's who he is. And I believe it and I love him. You make this your hymn this morning.